0: of a congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, and those of you here, and those of you participating in worship online, as well as our visitors that are with us, we're uh, towards the end of the year. We just passed the winter solstice. I think it was Monday, if I'm not mistaken, the shortest day of the year, the darkest day of the year, and how appropriate then at this time, at this season, to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the birth of Jesus as the light of the world is the birth of a new hope that the darkness has stopped and that the light will begin to increase. And how we need to hear good news like that because it's not just the days that have been dark. It's not just the the shorter, uh, the the fewer hours of sunlight. But life seems dark. We and our neighbors, our communities, we're facing fear, anxiety, confusion. There's a pandemic. There's sickness and suffering and isolation. We're deprived of the communion with friends and family. There's lost income, there's lost jobs, financial problems, broken relationships, despair. There are suicides, and yes, even death, either from the virus or from other causes. And the darkness can feel heavy on us. It weighs on us and how we long for the light. Now, when we look at the word darkness in our text, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It seems that the the darkness in our text is some kind of malevolent force, and it is indeed. We'll talk about that more later. But at the very beginning of the scripture, We hear about darkness for the first time. When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was still inchoate, it was without form, and there was darkness over the face of the deep, and that darkness was not a malevolent darkness, not like the darkness that we know today. That darkness at the beginning in Genesis was a a blank canvas. That's all it was, and on that blank canvas, God created everything all the matter of the universe. And then he said, let there be light. And so he paints light and he paints life onto the the canvas of the creation. And so there's a glorious difference between the sunshine of the day and then the the cool of the night in which the brilliant stars against that black velvet night sky bring glory to the creator. These are good things. And before the fall, darkness was just that, the backdrop, the canvas upon which God was painting life and light. But with the fall, when evil invades the creation, it seeks to pervert and twist and ultimately to undo the creation. That's what the devil wants to do. He hates light. He hates life. He hates goodness. He wants to undo the good things that God has made. And so, the darkness as a malevolent force embraces the dying of the light. It embraces death. It embraces all that is gloomy and hopeless. It wants to extinguish the light. So I hope you, you perceive here that the darkness before the fall was not a bad thing in itself. But, but after the fall, it becomes a metaphor For the sin and the brokenness and the despair of separation from God. Now, I was trying to think of an example to help kind of drive this point home. And I thought of a garden. I think many of us like to garden. And at the beginning of the gardening season, you may have your garden all ready. The soil is all prepared. It's all turned over. There's nothing growing in it yet. You're going to sow the seeds or or plant the seedlings. And so that that freshly turned dirt is a canvas, and on that canvas, you want to see in a few weeks or months' time this this riot of life, these plants and roots and flowers and and fruits. And so towards the end of the summer and the beginning of the fall, if you wake up one day and you come out to your garden, which should be just bursting with life, and you see that it's just been totally scrubbed clean, and there's just dirt freshly turned over, just like it was back in the spring, then suddenly, at that time, it's not a good thing anymore. It means that somebody has been so miserable as to go and destroy all of your hard work. So in the spring, the beginning, that freshly turned dirt was was just a canvas. There was nothing wrong with it. But at the end of the season, if you see just dirt, it's a sign of destruction. Something evil having happened. And so the story of the world begins with the darkness as simply a backdrop or a canvas for God to paint on. But if you look through the Scriptures, you start with Genesis, you go all the way to Revelation, you see that there's a progression in the history of redemption from darkness to light. And as we progress through the history of this world, the history of the creation, there's more life and more light until finally there's this crescendo in the new heavens and the new earth where there is no more night. That's what the Lord promises us. In the new heavens and the new earth, children, no night time which means no bedtime, which means that you get to stay up all the time and you'll never be tired. Isn't that awesome? There's just eternal joy and life and the light of God's presence. So that's the progression that we see in the Scriptures, from the darkness to eternal light. Sin doesn't want that to happen. Sin wants the opposite to happen. Sin wants to go backwards. Sin wants to go from light to darkness. And sin is the default inclination of the human heart since the fall. Sin characterizes and is in the DNA of this groaning creation ever since we broke things by our disobedience to God. All the pain, all the catastrophes, all the pandemics all the diseases, all the despair and the broken relationships and the selfishness. It's because of sin. It's because we've turned our backs on the one who dwells in unapproachable light. And that's the story of history. We plunged into the darkness. We embraced the darkness. And God keeps coming back to us and saying, my children come back to the light but ever since the fall then that 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 darkness which was just a an innocuous canvas it was something for God to paint life and light onto ever since the fall it has become a metaphor for the forces of evil it's no longer innocuous no longer just innocent no longer part of a good creation but it's a metaphor of the forces of evil wanting to pervert and wanting to undo the creation. And this is what our text calls the darkness. It is a malevolent force which hates God, which hates God's creation, which hates God's creatures, a malevolent force which overcomes us, enslaves us, oppresses us, and wants to drive us down deeper and deeper into misery. And that's this cosmic battle that's been going on ever since Genesis chapter 3, ever since the fall into sin. And so throughout the Old Testament, as we go through the history of salvation, the history of redemption, God's people were supposed to be light bearers. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. It was supposed to be a living preaching of the gospel, a beacon of hope, of forgiveness and reconciliation with God, holding out life and light to the surrounding nations who were lost in sin and idolatry. Well, we read the Old Testament. We know exactly how that worked out. It didn't, did it? Because God's people didn't manage to do the job instead of being a light to the nations, God's people got tripped up and fell down and got entangled up over and over in their own sins. The darkness is so embedded in the fallen sinner's psyche, it holds on to us. We can check out anytime we want, but we can never leave. It just doesn't want to let go of us. That's what sin does to the human being. And so we turn to Isaiah chapter 9, for example. And in Isaiah 9, the prophet is speaking to people who are in distress. They're in darkness, the gloom of anguish. They'll be thrust into darkness. Thick darkness, says the prophet in the end of chapter 8. And he's talking about the people of God who once again have been unfaithful. And then he finally brings us to chapter 9 and he gives us a promise. He gives us some good news. He gives us the news of someone who is light himself. And he proclaims there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. When it couldn't happen with God's people, God promised that he would do it himself. He promised that he would come himself to bring the light back. And he promises then, the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken us on the day of Midian for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In other words, he will put an end to all conflict. He will put an end to all injustice and oppression. Why? How? For to us a child is born. We couldn't find a way out of the darkness ourselves. God comes and does it for us in Jesus Christ. He is the child. He is the son that is born and that is prophesied in the text we just read. But for him to do what needed to be done, for him to come, for him to lead us out of the darkness back into the light, do we even realize what that took? Because it was a painful process. John chapter 3, the scripture says this, the light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Jesus, the very son of God, came to walk among us, to bring us back to the father, and we rejected him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Why? Because the light exposes us. The light reveals our inadequacies, our faults, the ugly things we tuck away deep in our hearts and souls. And the light of the glory of the holiness of God hurts our eyes. We would rather walk in the gloom in safe obscurity. And you know, we're quite happy as human beings fallen, sinful human beings. We're quite happy when Jesus, the light of the world, isn't around. Because then we're just... We just relativize stuff. We'd, we just look at the, the little bit of afterglow that we still have, that we still keep because we're still created in the image of God. And the tiny little of glow that you can still kind of see in the darkness, we praise as absolutely brilliant and illuminating. It's like a little child that has one of those stickers that you, you expose to the light, and when you turn the lights off, it glows for a little while. And that's, we just think that's so awesome when we're children. And that's the way we think of our righteousness as fallen human beings. Jesus, stay away from us. We want to be impressed with the, the little sparks of light which we can imagine we still have in ourselves and from ourselves. The scripture says this, Woe to those who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Thousands of years of human history have passed, and we are still embroiled in conflict and wars and oppression and injustice and abuse and selfishness and unfaithfulness and broken relationships. The scripture says we live hating one another and being hated. We are like blind people stumbling in the darkness. We don't even know what we're tripping over. And if there is light, we can't even see it because we have no eyes to see it. There is no life. There is no light. There is only darkness and decay and no amount of technology and no amount of education and no amount of science can change it. And the proof for that is that in the last century, which was the most advanced century in the history of the world, it was also the greatest century for murder and destruction of tens and hundreds of millions of lives. There is no hope when we look to each other in the darkness. We need someone to come to lead us out again. We need an act of God, and that's exactly what the gospel offers us and promises us. The Bible says this, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means this, that the God who created the world, the universe, who said, let there be light, and there was light, he can do the miracle, not just of creating the first time, but of recreating, of beginning new life in the heart of a dead sinner. And he can do that because the creator himself came. He came into our darkness and he was born to be the recreator to bring new life and new light he came that we might have life and have it abundantly and so that bright star led the way for the wise men to worship jesus and the angels lit up the sky with a heavenly glory as they sang and exalted over his birth He came to lead us back to the light. But the way back was costly, and it was hard, and it hurt. He faced the powers of the darkness during his entire life. And when he comes towards the end of his time here on earth, and they come to arrest him at night as is fitting, and he says to them, this is your hour and the power of of darkness, And as sinful human beings take the Lord of the universe, the creator of the universe, and they imprison him and they torture him and they drive him to the cross and they nail him to that instrument of torture. He who came to save them from their sin, they destroy in their anger and their hate. And on that cross, It was from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness over all the land. From 12 o'clock noon to three in the afternoon, our Savior was hanging there in agony and in pitch black darkness. And it was for this that he became a baby. It was for this Reason that he, the Son of God, became incarnate. That was the whole purpose of Christmas, so that Easter could happen. He became a little human child, so that he could grow up, and he could suffer, and he could bleed, and he could die. So that all the darkness of my sin and your sin, all the pain and agony of separation from God, all the darkness of death that we deserve. It overcame him. You know, Christmas is not a cute, innocent little story about a little baby, but rather Christmas is the crux. It is the turning point in a cosmic war between darkness and light. And there on the cross, just when it seems that darkness has won, and when the Christmas baby becomes the corpse. In the tomb, it is is at that moment, at that darkest moment, that we find out who he really is. That he is God of God, light of light, true God of true God. He stands up on resurrection morning. He demonstrates that he triumphed over the powers of darkness on the cross. He ascended into heaven in a blaze of glory. And when we turn to the book of Revelation, when we see John and his vision, he sees Jesus in his state of glory. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. The glorified, the ascended, the victorious Lord Jesus Christ is no longer a weak, vulnerable, defenseless little baby, but he is a sovereign king of kings. Sovereign over sin, over death, over darkness, over pain, over pandemics, over all of history. And not all of the combined powers of darkness can even touch him. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Because darkness can't overcome light. What happens, children, if you're in the dark, you're in your room and it's pitch black at night, and you feel for the light switch, and you turn on the light, what happens to the dark? It flees. Darkness can't stand the light. It disappears, doesn't it? And that's what happened to the universe when the light of the world came to be born in Bethlehem. The shadows don't stand a chance before him. Brother and sister and friends who are visiting with us, you need this Jesus. You need the one born as the light of the world. You know that you live in a world of darkness and pain and injustice. And you have experienced many bitter things in your life, things that belong to the darkness of this fallen world, the pain of separation, The pain of loneliness, the pain of sickness and suffering. Yes, the pain of losing loved ones to death. And you know that this is not the way things are supposed to be. And if you look deep into your soul and you do an honest inventory of your life, in your words and your actions. And you know that the darkness is not just something which is out there, but it's something that we all have also in our very hearts and our souls. Who here or who listening online has never spoken a hurtful word, never said something that they regret. Never done something selfish or cruel to others. Never done an unrighteous deed. Never done something which was against the holy will of God. So we know that we need the light of the world to shine in our hearts. And he came, he was born, and he was not overcome. But he overcame the darkness. And Jesus, the light of the world, he calls sinners like me and like you, he calls us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That's the gospel of Christmas. The gospel of Christmas puts before us a great promise but also a great and serious demand. It is a promise of life and light and reconciliation and being received back in the presence of God the Father as a a beloved child with all of our sins washed away. And with that glorious and loving and gracious promise, there is a demand, a holy imperative to turn away from the darkness, As the Scripture says, to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. To have no fellowship. The Apostle Paul says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? If you're going to turn to God and turn to the light, you need to turn away from the darkness. You can't limp along with one foot in the darkness and one foot in the light. What does the Apostle John say in his first letter? If Jesus is the light of the world, and if Jesus lives in my heart, how can there be any darkness in me? Christmas is not a cute story about babies and shepherds. Christmas is the historical record of God dealing a crushing blow against the power of the darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, is victorious. And we who believe in Jesus are more than conquerors. And we're getting closer every day to the moment when we will see the full glory, the full effects, the full consummation of the work that Jesus did on the cross. What does Paul say to the Romans? He says this, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The gospel tells us to suit up and get in the fight to hate darkness, to love the light, and to spread the light. That's what we're here for as we await the return of Jesus. Because the people who walked in darkness have seen a glorious light. Day has dawned for those who dwelt in death's surrounding night. So hail King Jesus. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Where the light of the world shines. He makes the darkness and the shadows flee. And so Lord Jesus... You were born in the darkness of a stable in Bethlehem. Lord, you know that the darkness surrounds us and assails us and oppresses us around us in the world, but also the darkness tries to assail our hearts and our souls and our relationships. and We can't fight it ourselves, Lord, but you are the light of the world. And so fill us with your life and your light. And dispel the darkness from our hearts and lives. And infuse our relationships and our families with your holy light. Permeate the communion of saints with the light of your glory. And let the redeemed humanity shine ever brighter with the light of Christ. Until finally that day dawns, which will have no end. And we will live in everlasting, ineffable joy life, and light. Amen.